Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Five Things Podcast. I'm your host, Kenny Gold. Podcasting live from the Jersey Shore, you might hear some beautiful ambient sounds. Silence is nice too. (laughs) Oh, and there she is joining us yet again. One of my favorite podcasters, one of my favorite project directors, Amanda Davis. Hello, Amanda. Good morning. And joining us for the first time, a five things newbie, but one of the brightest social strategy minds in the business, Joseph Day. Welcome to the podcast, Joseph. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. You'll know Joseph's tones by how excited he (laughs) is throughout this whole thing. (laughs) All right. So our five things this week, Amanda will talk to us about TikTok launching TikTok for business marketers. I'll tell you a little bit about Facebook announcing politician posts being labeled. Joseph will tell us a little bit about Instagram expanded reels. We'll talk about Google's new announcement around user data auto deleting feature. And we'll end with Amanda talking about how Blackpink broke YouTube's 24 hour viewing record. It's going to be a fun one. Amanda, kick it off. All right. In your weekly TikTok updates, um, TikTok actually introduced a new branded platform called TikTok for Business, as you can assume by the name. It's basically a hub for brands to understand how they can not only tap into TikTok ad formats, but also content creators on the site. So it's a website and, you know, a platform where you can get a lot of information about what kind of formats are available. But the more interesting piece of it, too, is that they've announced what they're calling branded effects, which if it sounds familiar, it's essentially what Snapchat does in their AR experiences where branded um, content can be made right within the content creation process. So this is not super unexpected of a move um, from TikTok. They're really trying to solidify themselves not only as an, as an experimental playground for brands, but also a long-term, you know, social network on uh, that can reach Gen Z really effectively. Um, this is interesting, though, and I think there's more of a long-term play to discuss because when Instagram and Twitter first um, launched, you know, branded formats for, for marketers to tap into, you saw this initial um, appetite for human, real brands to be super authentic and look and sound like their audience. What's interesting, though, is... TikTok audiences demand that even more. So, you know, branded content, uh, branded posts, in-feed posts, sponsored things on the the platform don't do well, um, and they're going to continue not to do well. So I I think this is probably the first step that TikTok's going to take in introducing brands to how they can create even more authentic content um, to reach those younger audiences. So it's it's more of a long-term game, and I think this is probably a little bit overdue for them, but... Yeah, I, I, you know, having experienced the marketplace firsthand and, and we had a chance to check it out in beta, um, and knowing that co-creation is really the name of the game when it comes to TikTok, this is something that I think marketers are going to have to get really comfortable with very quickly. This isn't a slap your brand logo on this thing and let it run. This is ceding control to the creators themselves to let them create in their voice. Um, and it's a very special way of approaching things. And the brands that are comfortable doing that are going to see the success of it. I think we at Gray got to experience it firsthand uh, with Procter & Gamble and Distance Dance. And we've talked about that 
at length, uh, but ceding control to Charlie to speak to her audience and her voice was what led to the success of that program. And I think we're going to see that more and more. And I'll just add, I think we're also going to see that there's going to be a lot of brands that don't need to play on TikTok. It's not authentic to their brand purpose. It's not authentic to what they stand for. So I think there's also this added layer of is TikTok the right platform for your brand? Are you ready to, as Kenny said, you know, give over a little bit of control and ownership to the content that you're putting out there? So I don't think it'll be as mass reach as, you know, an Instagram or Twitter right now. I think it'll take a while to weed out, you know, which brands feel authentic on the platform and, and find success and which ones maybe just it's not right for them. Yeah, no, I also recently found out that only some brands uh, can be on TikTok. So there are apparently like some pharmaceutical rules, like, for example, like Advil can't even be on TikTok. So for those for those brands that, you know, want to be on TikTok, they should consider whether or not they can even have an organic, like, uh, I guess, presence. So if you have an ad and you want to create some UGC with that, what can you do with that? Is it just going to stay on those ads or is it going to actually be able to bleed onto an organic presence? It's a kind of a question you have to ask yourself. Yeah, this is going to be a further step into the decentralization of social with a capital S and this notion that brands are going to treat all social channels as one thing versus understanding the pure role of channels uh, in their overall marketing mix and how each channel brings a unique proposition to the table. So I think it's uh, it's very fascinating to watch this uh, make its way uh, into the mainstream conversation around marketing. Moving on to our second thing, Facebook announced politician post violation labels. Very excited about this. Uh, very excited to see our big blue friend come out there and understand that they have a major, major role to play when it comes to uh, cleaning up the discourse around political conversation. We know that Facebook, the parent company, is in a ocean of hot water uh, when it comes to how they regulate things like hate speech and misinformation. We know that it is uh, it is the month of July and the boycott has begun. And we're hearing more and more from Facebook. We spoke about this last week. Uh, they're, they're taking massive steps to prevent voter suppression, to prevent hate speech from permeating throughout the channel. And this is just another step uh, in the era of fake news and everything else that we all hear every single day when we open up a newspaper, a tweet, or turn on the television. Um, and this is Facebook catching up to its uh, compadres and, and really understanding that they have a responsibility in the marketplace uh, to be a voice of truth, not a, a voice of misinformation. I know Amanda has something to say on this one. <laughs> I actually, I, I don't have a controversial opinion. Um, I think this is a good example of how consumers need, unfortunately, need to ask for fairness, need to ask for moral compass, need to ask for a little bit of that ownership from Facebook. They obviously would not have made this decision had the boycott not happened, had a lot of, you know, audience sentiment reflected this. So it, it does... The silver lining is it does show that the audience has power. And, you know, when consumers ask for something platforms just have to listen and have to react. It's, as we can all, I'm sure, agree, a little late. But I think right now, unfortunately, we're at the face of better late than never. Um, and I'm, I was excited to hear, you know, people were being hurt, at least. I, th I think that the word that you use, though, is interesting in terms of react versus, you know, being 
proactive towards these types of things. Like it, it is kind of a shame that Facebook, to my feeling, feels very much in that reactive space where if and only if, you know, people are kind of angry at the way that things are happening right now, then they're going to start implementing more changes versus the way that, you know, like Twitter seemed like they were acting a little bit more proactively, especially like Twitch just completely taking down Donald Trump's account. Like that seems like much more proactive action. And nobody asked for that account to be taken off, but they did it anyway. And that that just feels a little bit more correct, more inherently correct to me. But you know, what do I know? And same with Reddit, too. Um, I know that they kind of closed a lot of threads around Donald Trump and around, um, you know, yep. things that were revolving around hate speech. So I, I can't confirm, but I, I'm sure that there wasn't, you know, this uprising on Reddit to do that um, because things are obviously a little bit harder to find and harder to understand um, their impact there. But I thought that was great that they went ahead and kind of made that statement before it got to a place that was dangerous or harmful or, you know, made other people yeah. not feel welcome. And that wasn't even like an official Donald Trump owned thing that, that Reddit was taking down. That was just, you know, I think a, 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 a conversation, a community of the subreddit that was particularly devoted to Trump, but they still took it down because they felt like it was violating policies regardless. I think Facebook can admit that it is led from the front probably once in its entire existence. And that was going to market. And that's a controversial statement. I think, you know, they have, they have gained prominence through reach and frequency and acquisition. And it's not surprising to see uh, industry innovators like Twitch and Reddit take on the mantle of, uh, of cleaning up our political discourse and, and the other channels just clawing to catch up. So uh, I'm glad they're doing it. Uh, so, you know, you, you can't have leaders if you don't have followers. Uh, so I think it's, uh, it's an interesting but, but uh, necessary move. Can I also say I loved your, your metaphor of an ocean of hot water, Kenny? Uh, that was just like really just illustrative, really evocative metaphor there. I, I, that, I, I, I appreciate like that. I'm just hearing it. I'm pretty sure that because it has salt in it, it can't boil. You can't boil but the it, ocean. Yeah. Yes, but it, but but you know what? We'll just run with it. Um, and I think that will lead us very nicely into the fact that Instagram has expanded Reels. Take it away, Joseph. That's me. Yeah, uh, Instagram has expanded this thing that nobody has heard of called Reels, unless you happen to be living in Brazil, wherein they launched uh, Reels there. Um, it's it's still in test. It's still in beta right now. So they're still learning about what Reels can be, what if Reels uh, should even be, um, and where where it's going to be rolling out uh, first. Uh, apparently, it's going to France and Germany after Brazil. But net net, it's basically a a TikTok. Uh, clone, for lack of better terms. Um, this is pretty classic Facebook, Instagram to basically be, uh, to use a euphemism, borrowing or, uh, uh, you know, stealing maybe from uh, from other platforms, learning from other platforms. Uh, they, they took the stories format from Snapchat, for example. Um, so this is pretty pretty similar that they, they take something from another platform that they see working well, and then they kind of, in their mind, make it better probably similar to, I guess, what Apple users feel like with the widgets coming from, from Android. Uh, but that being said, Reels are basically 15-second uh, videos uh, that are, you know, once again, very similar to TikTok in the sense of, of how much they offer the creators. So you can, you know, slow videos down, you can speed them up. 
uh, all that good stuff. It is interesting that they're only 15 seconds because, you know, TikTok can be obviously much longer. So it's strange that they're kind of, that, that they kept it to that, that really sort of truncated length because uh, they were apparently only rolling out to users' stories. So that was one of the first things that users were complaining about, or at least letting Instagram know is that they wanted the, the ability to share these TikTok Instagram clones um, to their friends on a more permanent basis rather than just sharing it on their stories. So TBD, how, how that's going to be rolling out to France and Germany and um, maybe even uh, to a feed near you. Joseph, do you see, do you see marketers, do you see marketers feeling more comfortable perhaps leveraging a TikTok like format, but on a channel that they know and trust like an Instagram? Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, it's like, they're so averse to, to trying channels wherein they're just simply not sure what that audience is going to think of them. They, they don't have a presence on TikTok. So they're worried about, you know, does having an ad on this channel mean that we have to have an organic presence? And then there's this huge production lift associated with that organic presence versus Instagram. They might say, Hey, we already have a presence there. We have already have an audience there. Let's do some real ads. I, I don't know. I guess that makes it seem like it's a little bit lesser of a lift, um, maybe less scary in that sense. And I'll say too, I think, you know, we are consistently having the conversation about how all the social platforms are copying pieces of each other to have everything mm -hmm. in, in one um, place. And as much as this sounds just, you know, copycat of TikTok, it's not going to work. I am not as skeptical. I think that when we saw Instagram, you know, take over a little bit of Snapchat share with their stories, it was not really clear what was going to happen there, but that was super successful. I, I, to that point, like, I don't know that, um, you know, this won't be picked up pretty heavily. People use TikTok to your point, even consumers feel that way too, of like, I don't know how to get into TikTok. It's scary. So I, I think that they will find a lot of success in this from consumers and to your point from brands too. So, you know, it's that yeah. question of when does the lift and copycat help and work and when does it not? Like Instagram has pretty good luck. I'll be honest with yeah. copying and other people. And can they do it better? You know, yeah. maybe the interface is They always do. Yeah. Yeah, they always do. Um, and also something that's interesting and in, in what you were talking about in terms of copying stories from Snapchat and then, you know, how it actually took off on Instagram is at first people were saying that Instagram doesn't have the mindset for this ephemeral content and that people kind of are just only wanting to post to feed. And then stories took off. And actually what, what the article is also mentioning is that they're wondering whether or not the choreographed mindset is something that is on Instagram um, for, you know, because these reels are actually made to kind of be creating these much more choreographed pieces of content. So they're asking, you know, is that choreographed mindset on, on Instagram? And if not, can it develop? Well, we know it can't. We, we. Wait, we know for a fact because it's like, honestly, if you think about the Instagram, Finstagram debate and you know that people love curation, curation and choreography are not so different. Um, you know, and there's the, the question will be the rawness of the choreography and the willingness for it to not feel as polished, I think is very fascinating. Um, but it's, it still begs the question. Brands are trying to figure out how this type of content works for them on TikTok. Are they more willing to test and learn and get immediate feedback on a channel like Instagram is where I'm, I start to get very curious about where this thing goes. This has been fascinating. I'm very interested to see where Reels goes. But we must move on to our fourth thing, which is equally as thrilling. 
Google announcing user data auto delete feature. So what this means, really fascinating stuff, is uh, in the era of user safety and people looking to be on channels where their information is protected, Google announced a change to its approach for user activity data retention, whereas um, user data will auto delete after 18 months by default, um, which is a way of not being one of those channels that's just like, oh, did you read the terms and conditions? Or, oh, did you click this setting to change something? Uh, Google's going to do its part to help users. And I think uh, this isn't getting ahead of the curve, in, in my opinion, IMO. Uh, but I, I, I'm, I'll be curious to see uh, what other channels jump in and do this. Um, they also, as a part of this, are creating a, a new way to find the privacy checkup tool within Google search to see how information that you are searching for and, and the way your user data is being communicated uh, is being handled and seen out there. So um, not as exciting as Reels, but still very interesting and thoughtful on behalf of Google. Any thoughts? Maybe not as exciting, but probably arguably more important. <laughs> <You know? laughs> like, I, I when I when I read this uh, at least the headline of this article for for some reason from some, for some strange reason that made me happy and I feel like that's a sad thing that such a simple thing made me so relieved and happy that the notion of my private data would actually have an auto delete option on on Google uh, because it's like coming from I guess Facebook world especially Messenger which is like infamous for how much data that that app keeps to the point that they actually had to create a stand standalone app just to kind of. Uh, gather all the all the, that data that it does. Um, in that world that we're living in, this is actually such good news that I can opt into an auto delete function, even though the caveat here is apparently it's only available for new users or something like that. Maybe I didn't read it that well, but yeah. Yeah, I have a hot take. Shockingly, I do feel like this is a, a headline that everyone loves. Google will auto delete your data by default. Asterisk after 18 months asterisk does not apply to people with existing Google accounts. Yeah. <laughs> so obviously there's a lot of conversation around data privacy and, and especially Google's role in that. And I think this does, I mean, it's great. It's a good move. Is it as beneficial to the consumer as it seems from the headline? Maybe not. I mean, 18 months is a pretty long time. Yeah. And I would bet that that's a very specific time frame in that there might not be a lot of success for marketers using data that's over 18 months old. You know what I mean? Like it's it's a very specific point of time um, that makes me feel better for sure. I don't want anything more than 18 months following me around as, as a human, let alone as a piece of data. So I think this is a good start and I think the headline is awesome, but... I, but it's a low bar. Right? It is. It's a low bar. And I mean, think about it. Who doesn't already have a Google account? Like, it's great for, you know, kids that yeah. are maybe turning, you know, 16, 18 and getting their Google accounts. They're obviously a little more, um, you know, privy to what that data data offering means. But everybody has. But it's like account. after 18 months, I feel like they already know everything that they need to know about you anyway. It's to, 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 to target you in the way that they need to. Um, and then it's like, actually, you know what? We'll do a huge favor we'll do you for you. A big We're favor. Do everything after eighteen months because like, that's, exactly. That's so weird. I'm sorry. I know it's a little cynical of me. I just I would hope for a little more from Google on education. To what you were saying, it's like the more they can educate people that already have Google accounts about how this data affects them and follows them, 
that's, I think, where they should really be, um, you know, weighing a little bit more on the way that they're communicating that. So that's just my opinion. But Well, this was lively <laughs> and, and, and I appreciate everyone's takes. Uh, but we are going to move on to our fifth thing, which I am very excited to talk about from a K-pop perspective. But Blackpink breaks YouTube's 24-hour viewing record. 82.4 million in 24 hours. Let's hear it. Amanda, what do we got? So 82 million views in 24 hours on YouTube is pretty crazy. Um, I think the record before that was something like 56 million views in 24 hours, also held by a K-pop band, BTS. And this will really shock you guys. The record before that, also a K-pop song um, by Blackpink again. So the takeaway is clear. K-pop fans are absolutely ruthless. I mean, they're making a lot of headlines too, which is pretty interesting. Obviously, everything after, you know, how they kind of got involved in the Trump rally and, you know, AOC tweeting about K-pop fans. I would not be surprised if we saw more attention, not only getting paid to like the K-pop community, um, but also brands. Like this is an audience of people who are very excited and very passionate I, I hope that brands enter the community in a place that is like meaningful and, and actually provides something to the community that they need. Um, and, you know, that's more of the specific effect. I think the macro lens to also put on it is you're almost seeing a like redefinition of localization. So whereas you'd be like, it's raining in Atlanta, do, don't you need an umbrella right now? You know, Brands need to move a little bit away from, you know, centralized location as a, as a grouping for their audience and really look a little bit more into subculture avenues, interests, passions, entertainment and, and, and lifestyle verticals that are a little bit more borderless because of the Internet. So, you know, the next generation uh, after us, the millennials, is going to is going to actually be a little bit more borderless. And, you know, they have the Internet exchange information quickly. So. I, I do think there's going to be a shift in what we consider like domestic, you know, marketing and global marketing. So let's talk about this because, you know, we're going to get in all of the key messages about how Gray approaches social and influencer in this podcast, um, which we don't do often, but here we go. Um, connected communities and the currency of conversation. Our marketing paradigm has shifted significantly. We are no longer... And this has been brewing and brewing and brewing. We are no longer a broadcast industry. We are, it is about the way that people interact with content. It is the strength of the communities in which you deploy content. We are, this is a lesson for marketers in uh, checking their own egos to understand the power of their communication. Um, if the K pop community with the click of a button, can impact the news narrative around the president of the United States, you are seeing the power of a connected community. When you talk, that, that is a staggering number of views in a 24-hour period. That's almost 33% of the size of the United States. I mean, like we're talking about a, 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 a that is bigger than some countries that we know. Like that is a staggering amount of views. So I think, you know, this is a lesson in the strength of the K-pop community, but it is also a lesson at a more macro level for marketers in the strength of tapping into engaged, connected communities to help uh, evangelize a message 
So I think we are seeing a, a very fascinating culmination of a paradigm shift that has been happening for the better part of a decade. Yeah, it's like, what a cool community though. Like the, the K-pop community, like I love that they, 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 they're awesome at leaning back and consuming something 82 million times, but then they also have this like lean in nature to them where they actually can affect change, where they can actually interact with, with, with political dialogue and actually reserve seats at a Trump rally so that they inflate their numbers. Like they're, they're, they're so hands-on, but they can also kind of just lift up your views if you want them to. It's, it's just an unbelievably powerful community. I also was interested, Kenny, in, in what you're and uh, what you're thinking about YouTube stopping counting its ad views in the music charts because that was kind of like a a soft touch on this article because they were mentioning that it used to count ad views towards these view numbers of these uh, these these uh, music debuts and no longer are. So I'm, I was even surprised that those ad views were counting towards music chart rankings that you could actually technically buy your music chart ranking depending on how much ad views you are getting. Therefore, you know, you based on how much you're spending, right? Right. But no and, longer. And that, yeah, I guess really just shows that these people are not watching the videos through like an algorithm or something that they're yeah. served up. It's like, they really are like, just want to consume this content. A lot of they people want to consume it. Yeah, like, like they, they want to hear right? it. Like It's yeah. crazy. Um, they just have so much passion and, and obviously so much power. And, you know, again, I think people will continue talking about K-pop, but more so the long-term takeaway is like, you know, are there, what are the communities that look and act like this? Where are they? How are they operating? And like, what, you know, what else can they affect change with either brands yeah. or, or even like social change? So it's super, it's super interesting thing to, to keep watching. Well, that is it for our show today. I want to say thank you to Amanda Davis. I want to say thank you to Joseph Day. Thanks. Thanks for having me, guys. I want to say stay safe, stay smart, stay social. Thank you for tuning in to the Five Things Podcast. And we will see you all next week. Is that the first time you said that little, uh, that little line at the end? The Five Things are written and researched by Andrew Patti and Grace McDougall. Produced by Joey Scarillo, Danielle Hunt, and John Dillon. Additional support by John Jenkinson and Christina Hyde. Gray is a global creative agency whose mission is putting famously effective ideas into the world. Check out more at gray.com.